listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have the head physical therapist, head physical therapist for the Boston Bruins. We have Joe Robinson. Joe, welcome in. How's it going, Chase? How are you doing today? All right, Joe. Kind of um, for the people who don't know who you are, kind of give us a little bit of background about kind of where you grew up and uh, what got you into physical therapy in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Joe Robinson, head physical therapist with Boston Bruins. Uh, I'm from Decatur, Michigan. If anybody knows where that is, at least I was raised there. My dad was in the Navy for 25 years, so we were kind of from everywhere. Um, but a small town, I graduated like 50 kids in high school, uh, went on to Grand Valley State University, which is a D2 college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, got my athletic training degree there. Uh, from there, I went to work for the Kansas City Chiefs as a season-long intern, um, worked there for a year, went back to Grand Valley to get my PT degree. And then from there, went to Vanderbilt to do my postdoctoral residency in physical therapy uh, with a whole bunch of great clinicians, and then went to Boston from Vanderbilt. Gotcha. So I want to go kind of back to your uh, your time at Grand Valley State the first time around. Um, yeah. What kind of made you want to go back after you had done a, a seasonal intern, a seasonal internship, and then also getting your athletic training degree? What made you want to go back into PT school? Yeah, so... I, I never thought I'd go to PT school, honestly. I mean, I did the prereqs, but I loved athletic training. I still love athletic training. I do a lot of it. Um, when I got to Kansas City, it was a year of just immersion into everything athletic training is about, doing every responsibility possible. And, and as I did all those different you know, jobs, I, I fell in love with rehab, man. Like, honestly, every time an athlete got hurt, I would be the first one to step up and just want to, like, take a hold of that and start doing, like, the rehab process and, and getting them started. And I loved like taking them from that injury, getting them all the way back to return to play, which all athletic trainers do as well. But um, there's a physical therapist that worked in Kansas city as well. And he was very big on manual therapy, manipulations, different things in that realm. And uh, that really got me excited. I really like doing those type of things or at least learning those things. And, and that kind of made me decide, Hey, I want to go back to physical therapy school, kind of allow myself to, really take hold of a lot of those things. Dry needling was just starting to come around at that time um, or at least become more prevalent. And so it allowed me to go back uh, and do a lot of dry needling manipulation, a lot of those things that I, I couldn't really, not that you can't do everywhere, but in, in some places you, you really can't do as an athletic trainer and, and, and take a hold of those, own those and, and help my patients get better by that just extra uh, continuing education. Right. Um, and so after you went through PT school at Grand Valley State for the second time around, um, what kind of made you want to do a sports residency program? And then why Vanderbilt in particular? Yeah, I felt like, so I, I had this background, right? At this point, athletic training, NFL experience, PT school, but I still felt like there was just, a, I wanted an opportunity before I went into, you know, I always wanted to work sports. I want to work pro sports. I always thought I'd be in the NFL again. Um, and an NHL opportunity opened up and, absolutely love it. I never change anything for the world at this point. But um, with all those backgrounds, and all those pieces, and then coming out with school a second time, I just felt like it'd be this great opportunity if I just could take, you know, a year or whatever, get into a sports residency, 
and just learn for myself how to combine everything I learned at that point. I feel like as clinicians and as students, we get out in the world and you get all this information, you learn from books, you read articles, all this information that you have, but like the chance to apply it isn't there. And I think that residency just really allowed me to, to synthesize all the stuff that I've learned over the years and apply it in different ways and, and, and grow as a professional before I, I took that extra step and started applying for those professional um, sports positions. Gotcha. And then what drew you to Vanderbilt's program particularly? Yeah, I mean, when I was looking for residencies with the background that I already had, I really, I was really picky about what I wanted. Uh, I knew what I wanted and it was working in a clinic, seeing general population because I wanted that side of things uh, a lot more because that's kind of something I didn't get as an athletic trainer, right? Is in athletic training school, coming out, working with the Chiefs, there's always athlete, athlete, athlete. So I really wanted to, to get more experience on my own working with general population, but also still working with athletes, right? Because my, my ultimate goal is professional uh, sports. And so Vanderbilt had this great opportunity where their residency, I, this might be like a, a, a spokesman form, I guess, at this point, but they have this great opportunity where you're at the Vanderbilt Medical Center working with the, the patients up there, general population patients, some sports patients, doing rounds with their physicians or orthopedic um, fellows and residents. And then you go down to Vanderbilt University and you work as a PT down there, taking on harder cases, getting to know the athletic trainers, getting more sports coverage, um, SEC football, right? Uh, and then also they partner with Belmont University where Mike Voitis, who uh, I've known a little bit beforehand, and you know he, he helped make the SFMA and and he, his his values of how he looks at patients and and how he kind of approaches the field of physical therapy really really aligned with what I wanted to do, and so I I was allowed to go to Belmont and help teach his orthopedic labs right and get that experience too in the the teaching educational aspect. Gotcha. Um, we've had a couple of uh, Vanderbilt uh, residency graduates. We had Natalie and uh, Meredith on. So, you know, I've, we've kind of heard that that experience and they all kind of echoed similar sentiments about, you know, the teaching component and also working in the different settings from gen population to, you know, working D1 athletics. So that's that's all really great. Um, so now after you went through residency, you got to the Bruins. But how do you think that your time in residency and then your time in PT school and your athletic training background kind of helped influence or guide your path to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, really, I, I think the number one thing we always talk to about uh, to students or to new grads, you know, we everybody in professional sports gets students calling or, or, you know, getting on LinkedIn, talking to us, whatever it is, and how do you get to your position? And I always tell them the same thing. It, it's it's really grit. It's, it's kind of, you know, doing that hustle. Yet when you're young, you – in professional sports, the number one thing we're looking for, I mean, we obviously we want the the background that you have, like as far as physical therapy, we need those prereqs, right? But what, what really stands people apart is is when they have grit, when they, they know what the grind is and where they, they've had the ultimate goal this whole time and they've really like put their head down, went to work, did whatever they can to get to that point, right? Um, so I think working as an athletic trainer, going to Kansas City, you know, not, not staying in Grand Rapids, Michigan and working in a clinic there, right? Like going across the country to to get that experience and then going back to Grand Valley, get my PT degree. And I found another opportunity in Nashville, which is not cross country, but south, right? It's a different state. It's further away. And so every opportunity that I had, I took and I, and I went for it. And I think just going and getting those different experiences, getting those opportunities 
learning from all these different clinicians in different regions of the country, I think that's what really helped um, kind of bolster myself as far as getting that experience and being able to get in the professional uh, setting with uh, with Boston Bruins. Gotcha. And so let's talk a little bit about kind of your what your job is with the Boston Bruins, your head physical therapist. You know, what does that kind of encapsulate? Um, what, like what's involved in your role? Yeah, so I oversee the rehab of all of our athletes. Uh, what's nice is the Boston Bruins program that we've kind of developed over the years. Uh, we have a couple physical therapists, right? So I oversee all the physical therapy departments, but I get to use my athletic training and physical therapy background combined. I'm not like a traditional physical therapist with physical therapist with a team who who stays back and just kind of does long term rehabs. Uh, we actually have another physical therapist that works uh, through MGH and with us part-time that, that does a lot of those long-term rehabs. So I travel fully every game uh, on the sidelines or on the, the, the ice, uh, covering on the bench, using my athletic training skills there, and then using my physical therapy skills of dry manipulation, of just healing properties, different things to get guys who might not be able to play a game or who are on the borderline of playing and trying to get them back um, as quickly as possible or avoid them from being out in the first place and doing a lot of injury prevention as well. Um, so I know a lot of physical therapists and a lot of other sports, they kind of do more of the, the long-term rehabs, so like kind of their niche and they defer everything else out. Whereas our program's a little bit more, it's just a little different than, than a lot of other programs. Gotcha. Um, and so you said that, you know, after you had your internship with the chiefs, you kind of envisioned yourself going back into football and this opportunity kind of popped up. Um, so what's, I guess we've had one other hockey PT on, um, but what's some of the things that you've noticed, you know, working with ice, ice hockey athletes versus conventional field athletes that you might see, you know, football or soccer, what are some big, what are some of the biggest differences like in rehab? And then what are some of the differences that you do kind of when you're treating those athletes? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing that sticks in my mind when you say that is just the culture of hockey, man. Uh, these athletes are the most grateful athletes come across respectful I mean they're it, it's a great group of guys and everybody talks about hockey culture and you know, I've never I didn't play hockey growing up uh, I was a big fan closest rink from my hometown was like an hour and a half away and with my dad like I said in the Navy my mom there's no way she was taking me right um, so <laughs> I grew up a bit a big fan you're in Michigan right the, like the Detroit Red Wings I probably shouldn't say that word for the Bruins right but that's what I did growing up I was a big fan of that team uh, and so the culture is just so great but there's so many intricacies that are so different in hockey than other sports. Um, I mean, from, from everything from our guys wear basically a walking boot, right? When they play. And so in football, in basketball, someone gets a hairline navicular fracture, let's say like that's going to sideline for a while. Right. If ours is a non-displaced navicular fracture that shows signs of healing, they can miss maybe only a week or maybe not miss any time at all just because they're already in a walking boot and they really don't use a lot of those those functional muscles that other sports would when they're running. Um, whereas some injuries for us, like an adductor strain, similar to soccer, like guys are missing a lot of time just because those muscles have to be so powerful and uh, and kick on and, and be able to just be really ready to go whenever they do return to play. So understanding the, the differences in the sport and the sports injuries between, um, between hockey and between field sports, really. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, you've had experience in professional sports. So, 
uh, at two different points in your career, one before you went to PT school and one after you did, you know, PT school and a residency program. So what are some of the things that you encountered working in pro sports that may have surprised you or, you know, things that you did not expect before you had entered into that? Yeah, I think uh, being the decision maker, right? Um, when you're in outpatient clinic, you know, you get you get athletes sometimes, you get general population, whatever it is, and, and you make decisions based on their rehab, but it's really just, you know, like if you need an extra week, you have an extra week. If you, have, if you need an extra month, you have an extra month. Whatever you need to get them better, but also in a clinic, you're, you're worried about insurance, you're worried about all these other aspects, right? In professional sports, even though I had the background with Kansas City and didn't have to like train with other clubs, other colleges, uh, being the decision maker and a guy getting injured, like we, we, if you, we have a guy get injured, we have like the GM, the president, the head coach, I mean, within two hours, like asking us time frame for him to come back. Um, what's what's it look like? What are the next steps? So you really, you're on your toes right from the get-go, right? When acute care happens. And then the best aspect is I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to worry about anything else. I can just focus on like, what's going to get this guy better? What's going to get him back to play as fast as possible and as safely as possible. Um, And I I have the full gamut and support to do whatever I need to do to get this guy back. Um, So I think, having the no insurance, being able to do whatever we need, whatever we feel is appropriate to get a guy back, but also answering to the coaches, answering to the GMs, having all those, you know, a grade two MCL versus a grade one MCL versus a grade three right away. Okay. I evaluate it. This is what I think it is. What's the time length. Um, is it, is it two weeks? Is it four weeks? Is it six weeks? And knowing that right from the get go for expectations, I think is something that people don't think about before they get into pro sports. Um, but once you get there, it, it's uh, there, there's a little bit of pressure, but also, it's the communication aspect of knowing those little things and being able to tell coaches, GMs, presidents, what it is. Uh, I think another aspect of it too is, uh, I guess when you're getting an athlete back, um, people don't realize how in pro sports, a lot of times it's not 100% during the season. Um, There's some limitations that a guy might have and you have to really decipher, is this is this going to be safe for him to come back? Like, he's at 80%. Is he going to re-injure this? Or is it he's at 80%, it's not going to feel comfortable, he wants to play, maybe it's the playoffs, whatever it is. How do we get him back playing as comfortable as possible? Because this isn't a situation where he's going to get re-injured. Maybe it's something where, you know, it's a sports hernia, it's uncomfortable, he's going to have surgery in the offseason. What do we do to get him through until that point? Um, so those are other aspects that you don't really think of until you get to this situation and all those have to play out. Right. Um, so I wanted to talk about one of your, the points that you made about, you know, talking with the president, the coach, the GM, whatever other higher up personnel that you may encounter. Uh, when you're, let's say a patient comes in, they have an injured knee and they're going to be out six to eight weeks. Um, kind of does your tone or your, your, the way you talk change when you're t- describing it to the player, kind of what's going on with them versus when you're talking to the coach, versus when you're talking to a GM who's running the entire organization? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you want to see an athlete's face, just look confused, just start talking in every <laughs> anatomical term you can possibly think of. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely different. We, we always, we have to be transparent, right? There, there's a rapport we have to build with the players. So the player has to know right from the get go, Hey man, we got your back. We're going to do anything we can, everything we can to get you back, get you better. And we're going to explain the injury to you. Um, 
if you want to get if you want to get in depth, we can tell you every little thing about it. If you just want more of like a general, like, hey, this is kind of a ligament, it's torn, this is how long it's going to be, we can do that too. So it's really communicating that to the athlete. And the coach and GM, yeah, it's it's totally totally different. It's it's a it's a tone thing. It's figuring out like, you know, I think one thing I've encountered before, but new grads when they get into pro sports, sometimes you know, well, we we do catapult, we do a lot of different data with guys and you have to be aware of the sport itself. You have to be aware, you know, if, if that MCL guy's a center in hockey, maybe a first line center, second line center, and maybe another center went down that game, like the next day, you can't go up to the coach and tell him like, Hey man, the third, the third line center needs to rest day today. Right. Cause we don't have enough. And so I think that aspect of it too, talking to coaches, talking to them and understanding the sport itself really helps um, and get that point across. Gotcha. Um, so Part of uh, – we've talked to a lot of different people in pro athletics, and they say, you know, you're working you're, – you kind of play two roles, like you're athletic trainer but also physical therapist. Um, kind of what's the – you know, when you're working with an injured athlete and you're talking to the strength coach and the other athletic trainers and the nutritionist and the um, whatever other support medicine, sports medicine personnel there might be, what's the best way to kind of make sure that you guys are all on the same page so that your message is unified and clear to the athlete that's injured? You know, you don't want to have one person saying, oh, you'll be back in two weeks and then the next person they come in they're like oh no you're gonna be out much longer how do you guys kind of make sure like what's the best way to kind of have that that interpersonal interprofessional communication unlocked yeah definitely I mean, we're nothing without our staff we talk about it all the time like individuals in our staff i mean it, we're a combined effort and i think a lot of the stuff you're talking about starts in the morning meetings so during the season during the preseason playoffs um every morning you know before players get there before anybody else gets there we go through who got injured, what are the injuries when they're coming back. We actually have a shared calendar to make sure guys know, like if the strength coach wants to progress to a new phase, say in the off season, and guys recovering from surgery, we've planned out like, no, 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 you can't start you know, doing plyometrics until this point. We can't start doing um, traditional strength training until this point. Uh, I, so, so I think it's just the communication, having meetings, talking to everybody, having a group thread um, and making sure everybody's on top of it. For us, we're lucky. It's, it's a 23 man sport, right? There's, it's not football, you know, it's, it's not a 53 man roster. I feel like a lot of stuff gets lost sometimes because there's so many athletes with us. It's a smaller group. So we're really able to hone in on, um, on the group of guys that we have, uh, our staff, we have chiropractors, we have a massage therapist, we have athletic trainers, we have physical therapists, uh, we have nutritionists, we have just a ton of staff to work with and everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to get the guys healthy, wants to get the guys better when they're injured. And uh, so it's, it's really, it's easy to get everybody bought in, everybody to do the right thing. It's just like you hit, you hit the nail on the head. It's just the communication and be, everybody being able to talk together, talk to each other uh, and figure out where a guy is in the process and where they can step in and really help. Gotcha. Um, and so I kind of want to take a uh, more clinical approach to the next question. So when you're working with a patient that's, you know, doing a long-term rehab and um, you're trying to get them like, you know, they say, uh, it's not good medicine, it's sports medicine. You know, trying to get them past the finish line. Sometimes if they can, you know, they're 80%, but you can kind of get them through. Let's say you're trying to get a person back to 100% from a like an ACL, just for example. Um, how do you kind of make sure that they are 100% best, like tip-top shape to get back onto the ice? Um, what are some like the things that you do to kind of make sure that they're ready to go? You mentioned like the catapult data that you have. But is there any other things that you guys use? You don't have to get into specifics, but like anything that you guys do to make sure that the athletes are ready to go 100. percent 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a combination. I think the first step we do is tissue healing times, right? Um, that's one of the most important things that people, I, I feel like a lot of people overlook that now because there's so much, you know, there's catapult out there. There's so many different like technologies to help out, but tissue healing times, tissue healing time, doesn't matter if it's your outpatient, orthopedic patient, or it's your athlete, right? Tissues are tissues. Um, so we utilize those times, we use catapult, we use, um, our return to skate programs. Like we specifically set out return to skate programs and progress them in ways. So we know like, Hey, at this time, you know, your first day on the ice, there's no tight turns, no stops and starts on the ice. Now let's progress it. Okay. Now, now you start doing a little bit tighter turns, but still no starts and stops because we don't know if your knee can take it yet. And so we have those benchmarks. So by the time they get back uh, into a game, we already know kind of what's going to happen, right? We always talk about, we always want the answers to the test before the test. We always want to know like, Hey, you've done everything already. We, we aren't behind any surprises. It's not like the game's going to be the first time you do, you know, you, the first time you check a guy, we do that in practice beforehand. Um, other things, obviously for an ACL, we're looking at, um, you know, comparisons of hamstring quad strength. We're looking at hop testing. We're looking at all those basic measurements too. Um, and then we're, we're kind of, we're taking a collaborative approach. We're, we're talking to our skate coaches that we have now. I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you, I am not an expert in a guy's like ability to skate, like exactly how they look. Right. We have, that's why we have skate coaches. We have assistant coaches. I can go up to them and be like, Hey, this guy's looking as far as in our eyes and rehab and in the weight room, looking great, looking like they're close. How does he look like to you? Does he look like his old self? Does it look like his power on the ice is back or does he look a little off to you? Is his crossover still not comfortable? Is he not pushing off as hard as he usually would? Do you see his stride, a difference between the two? I can catch some of those things, but they're they're experts in hockey they're experts in skating so that collaborative approach we have comes in every every facet and uh we we depend and we lean a lot on those guys gotcha um and so what is um this is kind of a more broad question but what is a good sports pt to you you've been through like multiple levels of of sports and you've been around probably a lot of great sports clinicians but what makes a good sports pt to you oh that's a good question man that's that's a difficult good question uh, you know, I think it's someone who listens, uh, who can build a rapport with the athlete first and foremost. Um, athletes aren't stupid. They, they, they understand a person who's looking out for them or, or someone who's just, you know, checking in and checking out for the day. And so I think first and foremost, being able to be a listener and being able to, you know, understand where a guy's coming from, understand an athlete um, as an athlete and all the different things he goes through rather than just a general population person. He has, you know, what's going on in his life. Um, being that kind of shoulder for him when everything happens. And then also I'd say using evidence-based approach, right? And when I say evidence-based approach, a lot of people just automatically think I'm talking about like, okay, they read all the journals and they're just applying all the latest research, you know, but I'm talking about the whole game. I'm talking about, you know, research. I'm talking about the, the patient values. I'm talking about uh, what we see as practitioners and what we've experienced in the past and building those things together, not just doing things because they've always been done that way, but always challenging yourself as a clinician and always trying to move forward and do better techniques and, and learn from your mistakes. And I think that's what really separates good sports clinicians is someone who can like really hone in on their own skills, really reflect on their own skills, build on them, being able to listen to the patient, taking the research and figuring out how that can apply within what they're already doing instead of changing everything based on it. Right. So I want to talk about a little bit, you know, the three pillars of EVP. Um, obviously the athletes or the patient buy-in, um, so professional athletes, uh, you know, I'm sure 
take take their self their health very seriously because their health is is their livelihood and is that's how they get paid that's how they feed their families and all that stuff um so you know i'm assuming they can sometimes get guarded if they're working with somebody new for the first time or it's the first time working with this person um so how do you kind of you know break down that wall a little bit get them to lower their guard and get them to kind of get that buy-in with you to make sure they know that you're on the same page with them that your only intent is to make sure that they get better yeah i mean i think the biggest thing is just showing up man um showing up every day on time just like ready to go like always being that positive kind of vibe for them um athletes man when, when they get injured like you said it's their livelihood and when something happens like they're it's it's not like they're okay sitting on the sidelines and so understanding like you know always bringing that energy every morning being there for them understanding though like if they're running late or something like that you know understanding okay i, I get what it is let's talk to them about it but let's not just like you know when they come in oh yeah where you've been it's five minutes late or whatever it is like being able to just build that rapport with them um, through the rehab process, I think that goes a long way. And I think really that's, uh, that's what builds that trust from, from the beginning. Um, and I think as you progress rehab, a lot of it is understanding what they've been through before in rehab. Uh, we talk to guys, you know, if, if it's an injury that they've had before, you know, what, what have you had in the past as far as your rehab? Um, have you experienced, have you done dry needling before? Oh, you're not a needle guy. Okay. I'm not going to force dry needling on you. I have a million other things I can do for soft tissue, right? We have, um, we're ART certified. We have a whole bunch of, you know, we, we do grass and we just do basic massage. Like we do so many different things that you're not forcing your ideals on a patient, but you're taking, again, like, like you said, three pillars of EVP, you're taking those patient values and you're understanding where they're coming from. You're understanding what they've experienced before and you're working with them. You're not just doing what you think's best. Right. Absolutely. Um, so a couple more questions before we get you out of here, Joe. Um, kind of walk us through a day in the life of you. So I'm assuming your days are very different depending on what time of the season it is, if you guys are at home or away. But let's let's start with like a, a home home game day. Kind of walk us through from the time you wake up till time you wrap up. Kind of walk, walk us through a day. Yeah, perfect. So I brush my teeth first thing in the morning, uh, <laughs> skin off. Yeah, so we get to the, the rink probably around 7.30 in the morning, 7, 7.30 in the morning. Uh at 8 a.m., we have our morning meeting where we talk to uh, our skate coach, our strength coaches, our athletic trainers, our physical therapists all sit in a room. We go down like the list of every single guy that's injured. Uh, we'll talk about our strength coach is the one that does a lot of our catapult information. So after we talk about the injuries, we'll talk about maybe healthy guys who we need to watch because their their load's getting really high or he's seeing a little bit of different asymmetry just so that's on our on our radar. By 9 a.m., guys are trickling in, so we're doing treatments from 9 to around 10.30. 10.30, guys have meetings, and then they go on the ice at 11 uh, for morning skate. And so we cover morning skate. If there's any long-term rehab guys or even guys that aren't playing the game, usually they get treatment during that practice time since we have a bigger staff. We can have some guys cover the ice while we treat. Then they get off the ice usually around 12. Uh, we treat again right afterwards. That's where a lot of like the flushes, the massages – um, the treatment just to get them prepped and ready to go. Uh, we're usually out of there at like two, we get, uh, an hour and a half, two hour break where we can kind of, you know, I go home and see my four month old at this point. Um, uh, but everybody kind of does their own thing. Some guys take naps right in the middle of the season. Some guys work out and at four o'clock we meet at TD garden, uh, just to get ready for the game. Players usually start showing up by five, five thirty. We get prep treatment ready, injury prevention treatment ready. 
um, anything the guys really need. Um, every guy has his own routine before the game, and you're just kind of helping with it, right? At that point before the game, we're not pushing our agenda on anybody um, unless they've had previous injuries or something like that. We're just going with the flow and whatever they need. We, we really help them out with that. Uh, games are usually at 7 o'clock at night. Uh, I'll cover the ice um, with our head athletic trainer, Dustin Stuck. Uh, if any acute injuries happen, uh, usually he goes on the ice to grab the guy. I'll bring him to the tunnel with me. I'll bring him in the training room, evaluate him, let the coach know, you know, is he, is he good to go back out there? He just needs to get his stuff back on. Uh, is he out for the uh, period or is he out for the game? And then do any triage that we need to do during the game. Game usually ends around 9.30 or 10. Uh, we do post-game treatments slash in hockey, we do post-game lifts just because the season is so chaotic. Uh, and you don't want to get guys' legs heavy before a game by lifting heavy that morning, right? Or the day before is kind of difficult. So a lot of lifts actually happen the day after, uh, after the game. And so the lift treatments, usually we're out of there by 10, 30, or 11, and then starts all up again the next day. Um, but usually the next day is a practice day, so we're out of there by like 3 or 4 o'clock. Uh, it's not as crazy. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's eight months of the year, not including playoffs. If you go from the preseason all the way to Stanley Cup Finals, it's – 10 months of the year. Um, so you get two months of regeneration, but it's worth it if you win the cup. I'll tell you that. Gotcha. Um, and so that, now that you've been with the Bruins for a while, and even though it is a long, grueling grind of eight months, hopefully 10 months, um, what's your favorite memory been working with the Boston Bruins so far? Yeah. Oh, it's hard to name one. It might be, I mean, the most emotional, like the great moment um, as far as injuries is concerned. What I remember is uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2019 against St. Louis, uh, our defenseman, uh, Zadino Char, taking a puck right off his jaw um, and breaking his jaw in the middle of the game and then being able to come back. I mean, you've heard hockey players are tough, I'm sure. Everybody has. But this guy, he, he breaks his jaw. He has surgery. He doesn't miss a practice or a game. He's back next game two days later, plays in game, uh, I think it was game five at that point. Uh, and plays the rest of the series without missing. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Um, yeah, it's it was it was unbelievable. So I, I think I don't know if that's like best memory, but as far as like just most memorable moment, most like sacrifice for the team, Stanley Cup Finals, like that that's what really drives our team. Our our, our team in Boston, the leadership, the the you know that I'll do anything it takes to win. It, it, it rings true everywhere. Um, and we do the same thing. That really motivates us as a staff because we know if the players are going to do anything, anything that it takes to win, like we need to be there. We need to do anything we can help with in order to get them in the right situation to be able to be that type of player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why it sounds like a Disney movie ready to be written. Um, so that's a, pretty, that's a pretty great answer for that question. Um, last question before we get you out of here, Joe. Do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTs? You said you've talked to lots of students and new grads that want to get into pro sports. Uh, what would be a piece of advice that you get impart upon them, you know, if they want to be a head PT for the Boston Bruins one day? Yeah, I mean, I think every opportunity that you see, like, reach out. Um, it, sports PT isn't going to come find you, right? Um, it's, a, it's a saturated field, honestly. A lot of people want to be in sports. A lot of people want to be in professional sports. Um, but not a lot of people are in professional sports. So I think what I talk to the students about all the time is the chances of like, if I went to Grand Valley, um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and if I stayed in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I never ventured out the chances of me finding everything I need to in Grand Rapids, finding the 
open chains of communication for mentors and people that knew other people and getting the experiences, it, it's slim to none, right? You have to go wherever the opportunities take you. Um, 99% of people that are in professional sports, they, they didn't just stay in one location. They went wherever they had to go in order to get those experiences to build upon them. And really it made them better clinicians because, um, as you know, like different regions treat very similarly. I know there's like a big MDT, you know, philosophy in Grand Rapids. You go to Nashville, it's different. You go to Kansas City, it's different. And so all those experiences really mean something. And it shows us like when we're hiring for positions, it shows us, okay, this guy or girl, like she did whatever she could in order to get in the right spot to be in this position. And in professional sports, you heard the grind of the schedule, you know, it is right. So we want to make sure if we hire somebody, they're ready for that grind. We don't want to hire somebody who's never worked in sports or has never worked those long hours. And then within six months, they're like, guys, I can't do this. This is, this is too much, right? That's the worst fear. Cause now we're without a clinician halfway through the season. We, we want to know like, okay, the intangibles, all that stuff's there. And now we can, we can help you become a better clinician. We can get you the courses you need. We can mentor you. We can do all that stuff, but we need to know, like, are you in battle with us? Are you in for the grind? And I think that's what students need to understand is my, from me going to Kansas city to actually getting a full-time job in professional sports. I was in Kansas city in 2012. I didn't get this job until 2017. Right. So it took five years for me just getting internship in professional sports, actually working in professional sports. And it's not an overnight thing. It's, it's a grind, put your head down, get the working, get the experience. Um, and good things will follow. Gotcha. I think that's great advice. You know, one of the number one things on this podcast people have said is just, you know, continue to work hard and, uh, you know, opportunity or, you know, it all happens when opportunity and the preparation meet, meet, meet together. So, um, that's great advice. And Joe, um, I appreciate every, you, everything you've, you know, imparted upon us and thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule. And, you know, even with a four month old, you can take time to share some great knowledge. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug before we let you go? Oh, no, man. No, thank you for having me on the podcast. I love helping um, younger clinicians, students, older clinicians, whatever it takes. Like people want to be in professional sports. We talked about before the podcast, man. I just really want them to hopefully if I could if I can affect one person by them listening to this and understanding and, and getting in the positions that they need to to get in professional sports. I've done my job. I'm happy. Um, so so thank you for having me on here. It's been it's been a real honor. All right. Perfect. Joe, thank you again so much for your time. And this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. A special thank you to Joe Robinson of the Boston Bruins for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. If you liked what you heard or want to hear more episodes from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Oh,